0: Well, we left off from last week in kind of a precarious place. Chapter thirty-four is one of those chapters. If you weren't here last week, chapter thirty-four of Genesis. Well, it's a massacre. <laughs> it's 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 not it's not a message that you know. It's it's kind of you know. It's one of those tougher chapters to look at, and uh, and we left off with the family, with Jacob's family, kind of in a in a precarious position, what happened? The brothers, Simeon and Levi, had went in. They had made this agreement with Shechem and the people, the Canaanites, in that particular area. And they had made this agreement that they were going to dwell together, that they were going to intermarry. And they had given these Canaanites... a. thing that they had to do for in order to enter into this, this uh, living arrangement. And it was that they would have to be circumcised just as the house of Jacob was circumcised. They would have to be circumcised. And it was on the third day when all the men, after they had agreed to be circumcised, the third day in that healing process, we talked about that circumcision for a man, not such a fun thing. Okay. For a little baby, not too bad for a grown man, really bad. And Simeon and Levi came in on the third day and they literally slaughtered uh, the, pe- the, the, the men of the city. And, uh, and it was, you know, why had they done it? Well, they had done it out of revenge for what the one man of the city had done in taking their sister and literally raping her and taking her and, and doing that. And so it had put them in a precarious situation. In fact, when they had returned from the situation, Jacob said, why have you done this? You have made me kind of obnoxious in the in the land, in the eyes of the people in this area. Why have you done this? And, um, and the brothers replied, should he treat our sister like a harlot? and that's basically where the chapter ended last week with that it just kind of left it there and so we pick it up kind of almost feeling like wait a second we've got this story building right from creation to 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 Noah to Abraham to Isaac and now to Jacob and it's building and Jacob's coming back to the land of Canaan with this with these the sons and, and, and this whole thing. And now we've got this chapter 34 and it's just like, oh, wow, where are we in this thing? It's kind of almost one of those things that happens that leaves you questioning, can God's plan still be made? Can God still make something of this situation? Can he bring us out of this situation? Can he still do something with our lives? And you, 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 you have situations like that in your own life, when you're left after a situation that goes south, and you feel like, well, maybe it's all lost. Maybe every, every inch of ground, maybe every foot of ground that we've gained has been lost. And to top it off, I'm out here by myself god's not even here where is god in all of it can he even do anything with this seems like he's even checked out and it's when we get to that place when we get to that position we need to realize we need to know that all of that that we just told ourselves is not true is not true that god is a god who can pick us up wherever we are on the path in life. He can, Wherever we have stepped off the correct path, wherever we have fallen, he can pick us up, he can direct us back to the path. God, the, the real answer, the real truth of it is that God is there, he's still near, he's still right there in the midst and he's wanting you to turn to him. So God is here. Matthew in his gospel in the New Testament tells us this about the Christ who was to be born. Matthew chapter one, verse 23, you'll see it on the screen. It says this, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated what? God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God is Emmanuel. Jesus is Emmanuel, he's God with us. And just when we've stepped off the track or just when it seems all lost to us, he hasn't stopped being Emmanuel. He is still there, he's still here with us. In our text tonight in Genesis, Jacob learns this reality once again and he needed to learn it at this particular point again. He learns that God's presence is sure, even in failures, even in the midst of tragedies, even no matter what happens in our life, he is there, and he's there for you. So let's be reminded of this powerful principle tonight. He is Emmanuel. Hello? Maybe it's God calling to let us know that he is here. Amen? God is there. Let's pick it up. Genesis chapter 5, pick it up, verse 1. It says this. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. And so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alon Bekuth. And then God appeared to Jacob again. And when he came from Padam Aaron and blessed him and God said to him, your name is Jacob and your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel and also God said to him, I am Almighty God, be fruitful and multiply. And a nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And to your descendants after you, I give you this land. And then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoke with him, Bethel. God is there. God is there no matter what. God said to Jacob, he said, arise and go to Bethel. Here they were. This whole thing happened with Shechem. This whole thing happened with Dinah, Jacob's daughter, the brothers of the sister of the brothers, and it was it was it was a messed up scene. It was a it was it was one of those scenes that's really kind of hard to to sort out. Did they do right? Did they do wrong? You know, yeah, she was treated like a harlot. She was treated like a prostitute. But then they, of course, did what they did. So there they were, and God uh, needed to remind Jacob and his family once again that he was there and he was with them, and. And so, and, and, and really the message is also this, that God is not done with Jacob. God is not done with Jacob. Sometimes we can mess up or sometimes we can go through a hard time and we want to feel like God's done with us. Or maybe it's like, you know, it was a nice run. It was a nice run, but it's all over now. And you know what? It's not over. God's, not, God's plan for you is not done till he says it's done. Until he calls you into his very presence, you've got to continue to realize that he was there. Perhaps it was a feeling of like, well, uh, our whole family—we've disqualified ourselves from the plan of God. We've just completely, you know, messed it up. And God is is here in the life of Jacob, and He wants to tell Jacob, no, that nothing can be further from the truth. I'm still here. God was still there in Jacob's life. God was there from the beginning to the end. God spoke to, to uh, Jacob here. He says, arise, go to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of your brother Esau. And so even here in the command to return to Bethel is this reminder of that God had been, been with you from the beginning of this journey. God, God was there at the beginning of the journey. God's here now, and God's going to continue to be with you even as you continue forward. And so what I want you to do is I, I want to take you back to that place where, where I showed you that I was with you. Go back to Bethel. Remember, the place was called Luz, but 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 God, but Jacob changed the name of it to Bethel because it was that in that place that he met God. Remember, it was in that place that God... Uh, met with him. And so he called it Bethel, which is literally house of God, house of God. And so he returned. He, he, God's saying, look, I want you to return to the house of God. I want you to return to the house of God. And sometimes uh, we need to just return to the house of God. Well, where is the house of God? Well, you need to just return to it. It's everywhere, but sometimes We can drift away. It's not that God has drifted, it's we've drifted, or we've kind of gone off and done this thing, or this has happened, and it's made us, this thing that's happened in our life, maybe we didn't have any control of it, but that thing has made us feel distant from the Lord, and we need to hear the word of the Lord that just says, return to Bethel. Return to Bethel, return to the house of God. And so this is what God told Jacob And again, God was with him from the beginning, and he's going to be there with him till the end. God said to Jacob, go to the house of God and dwell there. Dwell there. That's what we need to do. We need to dwell where God dwells. Amen. We need to dwell where God dwells. Now, God is everywhere. He's one of the attributes of God. If you talk about theology, you get into theology, you start talking about attributes of God. And one of the, there's these attributes that are the omni-attributes, right? Omni meaning all, there's, he's, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, all-knowing, and he's omnipresent, right? Which means he's everywhere present. And so really, there's nowhere that you can go, there's nowhere that you can flee from the presence of God. Of course, David kind of rehearse this point in the psalm. Where can I go, God, Uh, to flee from your presence? If I go to the mountains, you're there. If I go down even to the grave, to Sheol, you are there. There's no place I can go, and and you're not there. And so that certainly is the lesson. Um, you, You can't flee from his presence, but you can feel like you have drifted away from the Lord. And that's why You have to ask yourself the question, are you dwelling where God is in your heart? Are are, are you continuing to draw near to the presence, to, to be aware of the presence of God in your life? And that's so important. James, in his epistle, encouraged the believers in the New Testament. In James chapter four, verse eight, you'll see it on the screen. You're familiar with this verse. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And what is this? Now, wait, is is this kind of like where God is saying, you know, I'm going to be in your life, but you go first, right? Is is he saying you go first? I I think what he's saying is "If, if you'll make an advance towards me, you'll realize that I'm right here. You'll realize that I haven't left. I haven't turned my face. I'm the one that's still here. And if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. You'll realize that I'm right there in the center of your life. I'm right there to pick you up. I'm right there to encourage you in the face of tragedy, in the face of a situation that you're dealing with. It's perhaps an overwhelming situation. Perhaps you've spent time discussing it, talking about it, trying to wade through it all, and you can't find the solution. God is there in the midst of it. Amen? Thank God he's there with us we only need to draw near to him. God deals graciously with Jacob here. Don't you think? Don't you think? I mean, here's the family. I mean, Jacob's done some things in his life. I mean, he's, he's been a deceiver. He's cheated his brother out of his, uh, blessing, the blessing, you know, that, that kind of patriarchal blessing that the firstborn son was, was kind of had that right to. And, uh, and he's done all kinds of stuff. And even here, on the heels of this family situation, this massacre at Shechem, um, God continues to deal graciously with Jacob. There's a lot of grace. There's, there's, there's a lot of grace. <laughs> God has a lot of grace. His Grace has been described as amazing grace, right? Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Yeah, it, there's a lot of it. T- from time to time, even though we may know that, right? We, we know that. We've sung the song. It's the most popular song. One of the most popular songs in the world. I know it's, Amazing Grace is the most popular song played on the bagpipes. Did you know that? Yeah, I, I don't know where I was, but I was somewhere and someone told me that. And I was like, you know, yeah, that's probably true. Because if you want bagpipes at a funeral doing amazing grace, I mean, that's nice, right? I mean, I should request that. I want bagpipes, amazing grace at my funeral, yes. Um, amazing grace. But you know, you can have those t- t- moments in time when you feel like uh, you've run out, you, God's run out of grace for you. You've, you've, you've slipped up one too many times. You've, you've, you've gone too far this time. I mean, all those other times, man, it was the grace, the grace, the grace, the grace, but you went, you went one too far. You, you went off the track one too many times. You fell down that last time, and it was that one, that one time where you kind of exhausted the grace of God. You came to the end of all the grace that he had for you, and it's literally a lie from the pit of hell. God's grace, I mean, you know, the Bible says that his mercies are new, what? every morning, which is to say, as long as days keep rolling, there's a new batch. (laughs) There's a new batch of mercy. There's a new batch of grace. Every time the sun comes up, there's a whole new batch of the love, the grace, and the mercy of God. You feel like you've gone too far and it's all done. But you know, Paul actually wrote something on this particular subject to dispel that thought from our minds and it's found in the book of Romans chapter 5 beginning at verse 20. You'll see it on the screen. Paul said this, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is that? that all those sins seems to abound and abound and abound. I mean, you know, you don't have to like, oh, hey, can we get some more sin around here? No, no, there's no problem with that. It's going to continue to abound. It's going to continue to abound. People want to talk about, hey, is the world more evil than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago? No, I mean, Solomon would put it this way, there's nothing new under the sun. Sin, here's the condition of the world. Sin is abounding. Sin is abounding, and it has since sin entered the world. Since Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden and were cast out of the garden, sin has been abounding ever since. But the grace of God abounds even more. Where sin abounds, the grace of God abounds even more. Even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we need to be reminded of it. We need to be reminded of it. We need to realize that you're never going to get to the end of the grace of God. It's just like a, it's a... It's a, it's a It's a fountain that's just bubbling over, you know, you don't come up to it one day and go, oh, look, it's down a little bit, you know, like our pond in the back of our house. gotten so low because we were so dry over the winter, and now it's full again, right? Oh, good, the the grace of God's full again. Okay, we're, we're, no, 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 it doesn't deplete. The grace of God abounds, amen? So what does Jacob do next after God is kind of telling him go back to Bethel, come come back, dwell in the house of God? Um, I'm still here in your life. What does he do? Look at verse two. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. So he says, you know, we've got to we've got to change our ways. <laughs> we got to change our ways. We've got to purify the house. If we're going to dwell with God, if we're going to dwell in Bethel, if we're going to dwell in the house of God, then we've got to get the stuff that shouldn't be in our lives, in our house, we've got to get it out of the house. So come on. Give me all give me all your gods. Give me all the foreign gods. Give me all the stuff. Come on. Bring it out here. Put it up put it up in a big pile all that stuff that's not of the Lord, all that stuff that, that it is of, of pagan worship, of, of, of worship that is not of the one true God, stuff that's dragging you down, stuff that's filling your mind with stuff that y- y- you don't need to be filling your mind with. I want you to come. I want you to bring it here. And they purified the house. Perhaps this is a prelude to... What would later come in the, in the law, the, the Levitical law, they had, a, they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, at Passover and going into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would have a day where they would go throughout the house and they would get all the leaven out of the house. Jews still do this to this day, by the way. They have a day where they get all the leaven out of their house. And it's got to go out, out of the house. Leaven, actually in the Bible, starting in the Old Testament and all the way into the New Testament, is a picture of sin. It's a great picture of sin because it, it actually corrupts and puffs up. It's actually uh, the whole idea of yeast and leaven is a, it's actually a corruption and a puffing up, and it's a it's actually a perfect picture of of sin. Also, leprosy. So, yeast and leprosy in the Old Testament are pictures of sin, and So you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You had to get all the leaven out of the house. And it was this idea of getting everything out of the house that is not of the Lord, getting all the sin, getting anything that's offensive to God, getting it out of the house. And perhaps it's a good practice because some things have a way of sneaking into the house. Have you ever noticed this? Just go out and look at your garage. <laughs> I don't know why Mary Jo and I have to schedule a day like it seems like every six months to clean out the garage. And I mean, it's amazing. And she's constantly running to you know Goodwill and all over town, going, "Oh, give, give this away, give this away." And you've got stuff in your your closet. <laughs> that you're gonna get rid of and take it down to goodwill. But anyways, we gotta get rid of more than the clothes that we don't wear. We gotta get rid of the stuff in our lives that's not that's not of God, that is not there um, and it's not helping us in our relationship with the Lord. And I'm just gonna leave that between you and the Lord. You know, there's a lot of preachers, there's a lot of guys that would come down and say, you got to get this and this and this and that and whatever. And I'm just going to leave that between you and the Lord and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you specifically even right now about some stuff that maybe isn't the greatest thing that you should have in your house. So we purified the house. And they got the stuff out. Look at that verse three, says, then let us arise and go to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. And so Jacob, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears and Jacob hid hid them under the tree, under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. Now, um, you say you know, obviously the foreign gods, you understand that, you know, I mean, there's the first commandment is what? You shall have no other gods before me, right? So you got to get whatever it is that's a god before God, you got to get rid of it. Just get, you got to get rid of it. Don't, you know, well, no, we're just going to hang on to it. No, lay down your gods. It was a great song by The Cry years ago. Lay down your gods, get them out. The earrings, there were Jewelry items and things that were, nothing, nothing wrong with earrings, okay? But there were jewelry items and things that were, yeah, all the ladies were like, okay, good, 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 good. He's okay with earrings. He's okay with earrings. Yeah. I worry about you ladies sometimes, though, because, you know, sometimes my wife, she has these big hoops. And I just, you know, man, what if that just gets snagged on something? And, like, you know, you know so I worry a little bit. But there were jewelry items that were associated with, with this paganism, with this worship of other gods. And so this was all part of it. Get it out of the house and bring it. And where did he bring it? He brought it to Jacob and it says, it says he buried the foreign gods in the earrings under the tree at Shechem. Now there is a theory, and I don't want to spend any, a long time on this, but... Um, as far as, like, you know, the question of where was the Garden of Eden, right? Where, where was Eden? And there's different theories. People think it was, you know, they read that passage where, you know, God said he, he put a, a, a garden eastward in Eden. And so a lot of people have said, well, it's, it's probably east of Israel. And so that would put it into what would be modern-day Jordan or into a modern-day Iraq or somewhere like that. And so there's, I, I've, I've read all those theories, I, I'm a firm believer, and the study that I've done is that, that the Garden of Eden was within the borders of the land of Israel. And there's a specific theory that actually suggests that, that Eden and where the tree of life was and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil were, was right in this area where they were at Shechem. And um, and it has to do with this idea of like that you had you had the the two mountains there at Shechem and you had um, and and there's a passage when uh, Moses actually decrees this to the to the people and he says you know when you come into the land um, you're not going to serve the gods of Egypt you're not going to serve any gods you're going to serve God and so when Joshua finally brings them across the into the land 40 years after that and there's a seven year conquest of the land there's a time at the end of the seven years when the when the warfare has ceased and they're literally at shechem and they have this exercise where they pl- place half the men on one mountain half the men on the other mountain and they read the blessings and cursings the blessings for following God on one mountain are red, and on the other mountain, the blessing, the, the cursings for not following God. And so, what happened was at the end of it, you had this plea from the Lord to say, Choose life and live. And that was the exact choice that was all the way back in the garden. You had a tree of life which they were free to eat of. And you had the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was really the tree of death. Because in the day that you eat of it was the command. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so choose life that you may live. And here they are at Shechem. And Jacob collects all of the pagan stuff. And he takes it and he buries it by the tree at Shechem. And so I find it interesting and really we sang earlier tonight, lead me to the cross and that's where we need to go and bury all of our stuff, (laughs) lay it at the feet of the cross, take it to the cross and lay it down. Amen? Amen. And there'll be, and there's plenty of grace. There's plenty of grace. And I think this purifying of the house is a great response to the presence of God and the grace of God that you receive. When you receive, when you realize, and you're reminded once again of the presence of God in your life, and you receive his grace, even though you thought it had, you had to come to the end of all the grace that God was going to give you, and you realize, no, there's still more, then you purify the house. And the reason why you do that and reason why that, that's such a great response is because it literally is the grace of God that teaches us exactly what we need to do. And this is exactly what Paul said to Titus. In Titus chapter two, pick it up, verse 11. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, doing what? Teaching us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, what's that? The grace of God has appeared and it continues to appear in your life. Jesus continues to show up in your life. Amen? Amen. Yes. And when he does, there's something that should happen in our lives. When we receive that grace once again, it should teach us how to live. It should teach us to deny the ungodliness of the world. Yes, the ungodliness that's out there. The sin that's abounding. Yeah. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust and that we and, and teaching us how we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present time. This is what the grace of God does. It teaches us. So when When the amazing grace of God comes flooding in, what should we do? (sighs) Get rid of the gods. Get rid of the earrings. Bring them to the cross. Bring them to the tree at Shechem. And bury them. Amen? There's a great illustration. I've used it before, and I will use it again tonight. You're driving down the road, and you get pulled over. Blue sirens. You see, and you go, ah, what did I do? Cop comes up to you and says, well, do you know why I pulled you over? No, officer, what's, what's going on? Well, you're, you're doing 70 in a 55. Yeah, license and registration, please. 70 in a 55. And so he goes back to the computer, sits in the cruiser for a little while, and then he comes back. And he's looked at your record, and you've got a clean record, no, no no, tickets that he can see and everything. And so what, he do, what does he do? He decides to give you a warning. He decides to give you mercy. Decides to give you grace. Amen? So he comes back to the window and he says, slow it down, buddy. <laughs> all right? Have you, ever, have you ever been told that? No? Okay, you guys are all good. All right. Now, here's the question. Now that you've been given the mercy, now that you've been given the grace, how is it that you pull away? from the cop car that's behind you, okay? How is it, you you peel out of there going, yippee, yay! I mean, it's a great day, I just got, no, no, no. 10 and two. (laughs) Just like driver's ed. Blinker on, right? Am I right? Yeah, it's exactly correct. It's exactly correct. Why? Because the grace of God teaches us how we ought to live how we're to, to conduct ourselves in this life. So they buried the foreign gods and earrings under the tree at Shechem. And God protected them. God protected them. It was the, the presence of God, the grace of God, the response of Jacob and his family to purify the house and to, 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 to respond correctly to the grace of God. And what was God's continued response to them? Let's pick it up, verse 5. And they journeyed, and terror, the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Remember, at the end of verse, uh, at the end of chapter 34, what was Jacob's concern? Jacob's concern was that he had become obnoxious in the eyes of the Canaanites in the surrounding areas, and that they would pursue him, and that they would deal harshly with him, and the reality is, is that God protected them. It says the terror of God, the fear of God. You see this as you go through Genesis and Exodus and, and on into that. You know, there, were, there was the terror of God that was upon the surrounding nations as the people of God Uh, that, that Moses had brought out the great nation, right, out of Egyptian bondage. And it was the terror of God that was on the surrounding nations because of what they had heard, that God had brought them out and delivered them from Pharaoh, delivered them through the dry ground of the Red Sea, had delivered them as Pharaoh had pursued. And word had gotten out, and the terror of God had gripped the hearts of these nations and these kings. And it was the same here. And it's none other than the protection of God. God protects those who fear him. His protection is upon those who are loyal to him or who serve him. Jacob gets all the way to Bethel. And he calls it El Bethel, which is to say the God of the house of God. And he builds an altar there and God, there's almost this kind of, this, uh, Jacob needs another face to face with the Lord. He had already had the face to face. Remember when he wrestled with the angel, the angel of Yahweh, he wrestled with, with a pre-incarnate Jesus all night. And, and here he needs to, he needs to meet with him again. Remember that he, his name had already been changed from Jacob to Israel. And here, basically, God repeats everything to him. He repeats the covenant. He repeats the promise of that of the, the, the nations would come from him, kings would come from him that they would inherit the land. He, he, re, he, he repeats it to him that his name is no longer Jacob, but Israel, that his name is no longer uh, a deceiver or heel catcher, but you are that one that has wrestled with God and overcome. You are Israel. And remember, we talked about that from that chapter, that we, the people of God, are people that continue to wrestle with the Lord all of our days. Amen? And so he says, you're Israel. You're going to wrestle with the Lord and and overcome in that sense you're going to, to keep in fellowship and so God is there and he has reiterated the covenant God is faithful God is reminding Jacob of all the things that he had said he would do and that he hasn't gone back on any of it and and you need to hear it tonight Christian you need to hear it God is not reneged God has not recanted any of his promises all of his promises tonight are in full effect for those that will come, for those that will draw near to him, for those that will surrender him to him, those that will, to, that will come to the tree, the, the, the cross of Calvary. God is there. And so what does Jacob do? He builds the altar and he pours. He pours out a drink offering. A, a drink offering was a wine, an offering of wine. And then an oil. And so you have wine and oil being poured out. Wine is a representative of the blood, the life. And oil is a repre- it becomes a, a type of the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Holy Spirit, right? And these are the two elements that you need for success in life. You need the life of Jesus and you need the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life to have success. You say, well, there's a lot of people out there that have success. Well, I I meant to say the God's definition of success. Amen? See, there's different definitions. And God wants you to have the most important kind of success that you can have. And what you need for that is you need the life of Jesus, you need the life of Christ in in your life, and you need the oil, you need the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, let's finish this up because you go through the the rest of this chapter and it seems like this series of of kind of things that are kind of not very happy things. Pick it up, verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored uh, in childbirth and she had hard labor. And now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. And then they journeyed, uh, Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with his Uh, with Billah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, were Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Billah. Rachel's maidservant were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. And these were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padam Aaron. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre of Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. And now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and so Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days, and the sons of Esau and the the sons of Jacob buried him. Okay, so these last couple paragraphs. What have you got? Oh, before in the paragraph that we read before that, uh, let's go back to it. Um, let's see verse 8 now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse died Mm -hmm. and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree Uh, so Deborah uh, Rebecca's nurse died Uh, then Rachel dies in childbirth giving birth to Benjamin she calls him Ben-Oni Jacob says no he's Benjamin we'll get into that in a second and then they get all the way to Hebron and, and Isaac dies. So you have Rebekah's nurse dying. You have Rachel dying. You have Reuben sleeping with Billah, And then you have Isaac dying. What? It's crazy, right? But in some ways, it's life because you have death. You have just the continued unfolding of the whole thing. And the message really here is that God continues to be there. God continues to be there. And you just need to remember that as you go through life. Perhaps you've gotten through to this point and it's like, hey, you know what? Things are good. Things are good. But there's there's coming some hard times. There's coming some seasons. Maybe it's a day that you have to walk through some troubled times. Maybe it's a week. Maybe it's a period of time. But there's times that you're going to have to be reminded that God is still there. So, you have Rachel dying. I want to end on this. Rachel dies giving birth to Jacob's twelfth son. She calls his name Ben Oni. And Jacob, and Rachel dies there on the side of the road as you go up from Bethlehem to, towards Bethlehem. And Jacob says, no, he's Benjamin. Benjamin is what? Ben is son. Jemen is right hand. He's the son of my right hand. You have this beautiful picture in the first and the last. The first son and the last son. You have Reuben, behold a man. And then you have Benjamin, the son of my right hand. And this is what you see. This This is the God man right? You have, behold, a man, the man, Christ Jesus. Who is he? He's Benjamin. He's the son of my right hand. And it's this awesome picture. And we're going to flow from here into the story of Joseph, where uh, the book of Genesis kind of uh, goes. And this, this next few chapters is an incredible time. But we're reminded once again of the presence of the Lord in our lives. And so no matter what's going on, if it's an area where we've fallen, an area where we're going through tragedy or difficulty, something that maybe even is out of our control, we need to be reminded that he is Emmanuel. He's God with us.